would be, mean a lot to me. Um, it is so nice to see everyone. I didn't realize how much fun this is going to be. Um, if you have the time after this year to, to stay on just to say hello, I would just love it and love to reconnect. Um, as I was talking to before to others, I only had a small view. I didn't see all of you that were here. So there's really, wow. Okay. So um, I'm going to start, even though I know people are popping in, but um, it's, it's really a, a long share that I, that, and I, I want to get, um, begin on it. Okay. Anyone who has any questions, um, there's the chat box in the bottom, and I'll probably save all the um, questions until the end. And I'd be happy to, um, to answer them. Okay, so the topic of tonight's share is Ritzvah Bas Aya. So for those of you who um, are like uh, older, Donet, I, I have begun doing, um, I, I've begun ta taking women that are lesser known women in Tanakh and have been working on, on them and doing shiurim and, and doing my courses on lesser known women in Tanakh. So tonight, I chose someone whose name was Ritzvah Bas Aya. And if you remember, Ritzvah Bas Aya it was the Pelegesh of Sha'ol HaMelech, and she is found at the end of Sefer Shmuel Bey's Perik Chof Aleph. So let me give you background, okay, and, and lead you in to the whole discussion. So this takes place, most Mepharshim say, takes place about 30 years into um, David Melech's Malchus. By the time this parak happens, David is Melech for about 30 years. And the Pasuk tells us that there was a hunger in the land. Now, I, um, I don't need it yet, Leslie. I don't need the Makoros yet, but we passed out um, the Makoros sheets. We, we sent out, and we're also going to do share screens when we get to, to, to we get inside, if you know, right? But I like doing textual inside. Okay, so Pasuk tells us that there was a hunger in the days of David HaMelech, a hunger for three consecutive years. And David HaMelech is trying to figure out what was the cause of the hunger, right? Why, why did Hashem, for what Avera did they do that HaKash Baruch brought a hunger? And so he calls B'nai Yisrael together at the time of Aliyah Laregel. And of course, we know that in the time of David, there was no base on Mekdash yet, but yet there was an Aron. Um, the, uh, right, the Aron was in a temporary, temporary tent in Yerushalayim that David HaMelech had prepared for it until Beis HaMikdash. And they came to be Olaregal there. And when they came to be Olaregal, David HaMelech gets up in front of the people and he says, there's a hunger in the land. It must be that there is the Avera Vavodazara amongst us. Because for the Avera Vavodazara, the Torah says, HaShemayim, Matar, there won't be any rain. Go, we have to do tshuva for the Avera of Avodazara. The people go home, they search their masim, and nobody finds Avodazara. They are not serving Avodazara in Eretz Yisrael. The second year comes and the hunger continues. And so David HaMelech gets up again at Aliyah Laregel and he says to the people, perhaps, perhaps there is the Avera of Znus. Because for the Avera of Znus, the Torah also says that there will be a Ra'av in the land. And so they go home and they search their masim and they don't find Zenos. And so the hunger, but yet the hunger continues. Comes the third year and the hunger is getting worse and worse. And David Amalekh stands up in front of the people and he says, maybe, maybe it's because of Shvi Hastamim. Maybe there are murderers amongst us. May, or maybe we haven't been giving enough tzedakah. Because for both of these Averas, the Torah also says, that there would be a Ra'av in the land. So they searched through their masim and they couldn't find, they could not find that they had been nechshal in any of these affairs. And so finally, David HaMelech decides and says, you know what? It's not the people, it's me. It must be that I have an Avera and that Akash Baruch Hu is punishing B'nai Yisrael because of me. It must be my Avera. And so he turns to the Urim V'tumim and he asks Hashem to the Urim V'tumim. Now I know you're probably thinking, well, why did he wait three years to ask the Urim V'tumim? And the answer to that really is because they didn't just stand, go and ask the Urim V'tumim. You only ask the Urim V'tumim when you can't figure out. And when they finally, he couldn't figure it out anymore. So he turns and he asks the Urim V'tumim 
and he gets an answer from the Ormatumim that the Rav came for two reasons. Number one, the Pasuk says, he says, El Shaul, because of Shaul HaMelech. What's because of Shaul HaMelech? That Shaul HaMelech, that the people did not give Shaul HaMelech a proper kvura, that they buried him without any hespedim. Now you have to remember, why would they, the first Melech of Yisrael, the Tzadik Shaul, they buried him and they weren't masked him? And the answer is, remember what happened there in the beginning of Shmuel, uh, at the end of Shmuel Aleph, that Shaul HaMelech died on Har HaGalboa. There was a war with the Plishtim. And the Plishtim took the body of Shaul and his sons, and they took them and they took them to the lands of the Plishtim and hung them on the marketplace in the marketplace in Beis Shan. And the people of Yavesh Gilad, Chatzi Shevet Menasha, were Moser Nefesh. They risked their lives and they grabbed the bodies of Shaul. They went into the lands of Plishtim. They grabbed the bodies of Shaul and his sons from on the wall. And they quickly went and quickly buried him in Yavishkilat. And they did it really quickly. They didn't have time to be masked him because they were afraid of the Plishtim. And they wanted it done quickly. But Hashem said, Shaul HaMelech never got a proper kfura. They were not masked him karo'i. And, says the Medrash, they buried him, Aver HaYaradzein, in the lands of Chatzi Shevet Menasha. And Shal HaMelech should have been buried in Eretz Yisrael proper, which has more Kedusha. And that's why the hunger has come. Hashem is punishing them 30 years later that they didn't give Shal HaMelech the proper Kvura. And then the, and then the Urim B'tumim says, and also El Hadamim, for the blood that Sha'ol HaMelech caused. On the one hand, the Pasa Hashem is standing up for the kavod of Sha'ol HaMelech, and on the other hand, it's telling us because of an Avera that happened in the time of Sha'ol. Because of the Givonim, because of the murder of the Givonim. So here we have to go back and understand and remember who were the Givonim. So by the time we finish this share tonight, we're going to have a little bit of survey from Yoshua, Shmuel, um, you know, going through. So Yehoshua, right, in the time of Yehoshua, there, the, you know, before Yehoshua crossed the Yardin into Eretz Yisrael, he gave out three notices to the people of Canaan. And he told the people of Canaan, that we are coming in. Hashem is going to give us the land. We are Hashem's children and he's going to give us the land. And Hashem told us that when we come in, we must destroy all the people of Canaan. So you have three choices. Choice number one, you can be Makabal the Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noach, and then you can live peacefully amongst us. Choice number two, leave now. Get up and leave. Here's your chance. Because once we cross the Yardin, you don't get a chance. Or choice number three, stay in the fight. And all the nations of Canaan, except for Girgashi, who ran away to Africa, they all decided to stay in the fight. Okay? What happened? B'nai Israel crosses over the Yardin. They start to fight. They start capturing the land. And the people of Givon, who are part of the Amori nation, become really scared. And they realized that they made a dreadful mistake because Bnei Yisrael are going to kill them all out. So what did they do? They went and they tricked Bnei Yisrael into making a treaty. I hope you remember the story. Tricked Bnei Yisrael right into making a treaty. They pretended like they were from very, very far away. They, they disguised themselves. They put on old clothes, torn, worn out clothes. They took shoes that had holes in their soles. They took moldy bread and they told, came and they told Yehoshua and B'nai Yisrael, we're coming from very, 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 very far away. We're not from the nations of Canaan. We're coming from way far away. We've come because we've heard about your great God and we want to make a treaty with you. And Yehoshua fell for it. And B'nai Yisrael fell for it. And they made a bris. And then what happened? Then after they made the bris, it came out and they told them, right, that they're really from the nation of Emory. Now, really, Yehoshua did not have to keep the bris. It was made under false pretenses. They were lied to. They were tricked. But Yehoshua said, because B'nai Israel made a bris, 
He didn't want there to end up being a Chilol Hashem, that people of the world will say, ah, you know those Jews? They never keep their promises, right? Those Jews, they don't keep their promise. Even though they were tricked, nobody will know that. What will they say? Jews don't keep their promise. So Yeshua said, we're going to, we're going to honor this bris. We are going to let you become Geirim. You're going to be Makabal all 613 mitzvos. But they are what they're called, the Gemara calls them Geirim Gerurim, weak Geirim, because they never became Geirim out of, it was, it was under false pretenses. It wasn't really because they believed in Hashem. But Yeshua said, we're going to be Makabal them. They're going to keep 613 mitzvos. They are going to become the Chotvei Eitzim and Shoavei Mayim, wood carriers and water choppers, uh, wood wood choppers and water carriers, okay, for the base Hamikdash. But, Yehoshua said, they can never, ever come into Kahal Hashem. Now, okay, they can't, well, he said they can't come into Kahal Hashem. They can't marry amongst the Jewish people. But really, he didn't say never, ever. He made a stipulation. And he said that at the time before the base Hamikdash, whoever is the king, He's going to reevaluate the situation. And if he feels that their Geiris is really a good Geiris by that point, then he is going to decide whether they can come into Kahal Hashem. Okay? Fast forward 350 years. Shaul HaMelech is the king. And another story I hope you remember is the story of Novir HaKohanim. Shaul HaMelech had a Ruach Ra on him, a whole story in itself. Shalha Melech had a Ruach Ra on him. And because of the Ruach Ra, he considered David to be a Mori B'Malchus. And David had, got, had gone to the city of Nov and they had given him food. And so Shal considered the people of the Kohanim of Nov to be Mardim B'Malchus. And Shal decreed that they be killed out. At that time, there were seven Givonim that were killed in the massacre. There were two Chotvei Eitzim, two Shoavei Mayim, a Chazan, a Sofer, and a Shamash. Seven, seven Givonim were killed in that massacre. Shaul con, um, considered them accomplices to the crime and considered them Mordim B'Malchus too. Now, some of the Mepharshim say he didn't really kill them, but he took away their parnasa. By killing the Kohanim, whom they worked for, that was taking away their Parnassah, and that was like killing them. The Onesh that was coming now in the time of David, the Rav that they now had, was Hashem's punishment to Bnei Yisrael for never protesting. That they didn't protest the deaths of the Givonim. That Bnei Yisrael sat back, and they were quiet, and they didn't protest. So on the one hand, the Onesh, the, the Rav came because they didn't give kavod, enough kavod to Shaul. And on the other hand, it was because when Shaul killed out, because the Onesh were killed at that time, or their Parnassah was taken away, and that caused their Misa, then, um, and they didn't protest. Okay, so that, so now what happens? David calls the people together. Okay, and he, call, and he calls the Givonim together. He calls the Givonim together. Now I need you to share the screen, Leslie. Okay, I want to go into the Pesukim. That's the background where we start in Shmuel Bey's Parak Chafala. Okay. So he calls to the Givonim. And he wants to get the Givonim to be Mochol B'nai Yisrael. So that this horrible Ra'av that they're all dying from is finally going to stop. So look where I have the arrow, okay? And that's where we'll start. Vayomer David el ha-giv'onim. And David said to the giv'onim. Can you move it up a little bit? Okay. Vayomer David el ha-giv'onim. Ma'aselochem. What should I do for you? Ubameach ha-perem. What can I get a kapara? Ubarachu es nachlas Hashem. So that you give a bracha to Hashem's nachla. He says, what, what can I do? How can I make up for this? Right, so that you give a bracha so that this ra'av stops. And the givonim said to him, We don't want, we don't want any silver or any gold from Shal or his household. 
And we don't want to kill any man of Israel. Now David's getting nervous. Okay? You can't pay us. You can't give us reparations. We don't want that. We don't want you to kill just anybody. So by Yomer, David says, What are you saying that I should do? What are you, what are you saying? And they said to the king, Ha'ish, Asher Kilanu, you know that man that destroyed us? Asher Dimalanu, and that plotted against us? Nishmadnu Mehisyatseid Bechol Gavoy Yisrael, that killed us from standing, that destroyed us from standing amongst the whole boundary of Yisrael? Yutan Lanu Shiva Anashem Bimbanav, give us seven of his sons. Behokanam Hashem, and we will hang them to Hashem, give us Shol Bechir Hashem. In the, in the hill of, of Shaul, that's where Shaul's Malchus had been situated, Bechir Hashem, at that exact time that the Giv'onim are demanding to kill seven descendants of Shaul HaMelech, a voice from Shemayim comes out and calls out, Bechir Hashem. You should know that all this that's going on with Shaul, you should know, was Bechir Hashem. It was the choice of Hashem. He was a tremendous tzaddik. And he was, Hashem had given him kapara. So what are they saying? What do they want? Shaul killed seven of our descent, uh, seven of us. We want Nida, Kenegad, Nida, one eye for eye. We are going to hang seven of Shaul's descendants. That's what we want. That's the only way that we will be appeased. And what does David say? And David says, I will give. I, I, he, he has no choice. There's no way that the Rav is going to stop. And David agrees that he's going to give seven descendants of Shaul HaMelech to be hung. And the king had Rachmanus, or Mephibosheth, the son of Yehonas, and the son of Shaul, al shluas Hashem asher Osam, for the shvua of Hashem that was between them, between David and Yehonas and Ben Shaul, between David and between Yehonas and Ben Shaul. Mephibosheth, who was the son of Yehonas, the grandson of Shaul, David had Rachmanus on him. Because of the shvua, if you remember that David and Yehonas were so close, they were so close to each other, there was a special, special love. And there was a bris between them. And so David didn't want to give the son of Yehonah's son, the son of Yehonah's son. He had Rachmanus on him. Now, what does that mean? What's going on? How is David going to choose seven descendants of Shaul to, 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 be, to be hung? So he takes them in front of the Urim Vitumim. And essentially, he lets the Urim Vitumim decide. The Urim Vitumim decides catches these seven, and says which of the seven should be the ones that should be killed. Which, which is a raya, it's a proof that this was the din from Hashem, and that Hashem wanted this of David. When David said, I agree, right, that this was me'es Hashem, the fact that the Urim Vitumim says, right, this, then, right, he says it, and therefore um, it shows that it's from Hashem. Okay, so who does he choose? Who does the Urim Vitumim choose? Okay, so here we come to her. We're finally coming, right? Takes us this long to get. Here we meet, we meet Ritzba Basaya. So who are the seven? The king takes, and these were the ones the Urim Vitumim caught. The two sons of Ritzba Basaya. Asher Yaldal is Shaul, that she gave birth to Shaul. She was the Pelegesh of Shaul. And he take the, takes her two sons, as Armoni vs. Mephibosheth, the S. Hameshes b'nei Michal Bashol, and the five sons of Michal Bashol, Asher Yaldala Adriel ben Barzila Hamacholasi, that were born to Adriel ben Barzila um, 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 from Machola. He takes the two sons of Ritzba Basaya, the Pelegesh of Shaul, and the Pasuk says, the five sons of Michal Basha'ol that she gave birth to Adriel. And I'm sure everyone here is thinking, what do you mean? Michal Basha'ol was David's wife. She wasn't Adriel's wife. What do you mean the five sons that she gave birth to Adriel? Mepharshim explained that these were actually 
Michal's sister's sons, Merav. Merav was married to Adriel, and Merav died young, and Michal raised them. So these are the five that were taken. They were given into the hands of the Gavonim. And they hung them on the mountain before Hashem. And all seven fell together. And the Pasuk is written, which really means double seven. Because the Mepharshim say that they died, and they died without leaving any children. They were young. None of them even had children. So it was like a double death. They were killed in the days of the beginning of the harvest, in the beginning of the harvest of barley, which was in the month of Nisan. And Ritzba Basaya took a sack or material, and she spread it out over the, mount, over the rock, which really means the mountain. Mitzchilas katsir, from the beginning of the harvest, ad mitach mayim aleim in hashamayim, until the waters poured upon them from the heavens. Below nasna of hashamayim lanuach aleim yomam. She did not let the birds of the sky pass, um, rest upon them during the day. The aschayas hasad alayla and the beasts of the field night. What did she do? She protected them. She took, she made like a tent on the mountain and she sat under the tent and she protected these seven bodies that were hanging there and she protected them that no birds should attack them during the day and no bees should attack them at night. And this was for seven months. The Radak says that they were hung on Tes Zion Nisan and they remained hanging till Yud Zion Cheshvan, until there started to become a little bit of rain. Seven months, these bodies hung, and seven months, Ritzpa Basaya did not move from that tent that she pit, pitched, and she guarded their bodies, that no birds should come and harm them, and no beasts should come and harm them. And so finally, when the rain started coming, and the people had so much Rachmanus, that she's sitting there still. It was told to David what Ritzpah Basaya, the Pelegish of Shal, had done. And David told them to take down the bodies. And then, after that, what did David do? He went and he was massacring the second chait for which the Ra'av came, that Shal was not. Um, mourned for properly. They dug up the bones of Shaul and his sons. He brought them to Eretz Yisrael proper. He took the seven bodies of these, of these um, descendants of Shaul and they buried them in the, in the same um, kever, in the same um, area where Kish, the father of Shaul, was buried. And then the Pasuk says, and the rain came pouring. The Ra'av was over. Okay, now I want to include one more thing before we start talking about Ritzvah Basaya herself, and that is that David HaMelech had to do what he had to do. He did follow the din of what he needed to do. At the same time, David HaMelech was furious. He was furious at the Gavonim. And he, at that point, he was furious at their cruelty that they could not be mochel. He was so furious at them, and he made a um, and he made a gezera, and he said, "I decree that the givonim can never, ever come into kahal Hashem." Yehoshua had said that it would be reevaluated right before the base Hamikdash was built. And David HaMelech reevaluated it, and he said, after close to 400 years of living amongst Bnei Yisrael, they still don't have the mitos of a yid, because Bnei Yisrael are Rachmanim, Baishadim, and Gomlech Hasadim, and because they had no Rachmanis, and they were so cruel, they shall never, ever be allowed to come into Kahal Hashem. Okay. Um, Leslie could, oh, oh no, uh, Okay, you don't have to, to I was going to say, maybe 
um, go to the next one. Okay, let's move to the second one. Okay. Okay, now let's talk about the magnificence of Ritzba Basaya. That's where we want to, that's what we want to talk about. Magnificence of Ritzba Basaya. So what did she do? She took this tent, she spread it out, the Pasuk said, basaya es hasak. She took this material, and she spread it out over the rock. And the rock, we said, was the mountain. Why does the Pasuk use that she spread it out over the rock? She was referring, it's referring to something else. So the Radak brings a medrash. It's number two on the thing. It says, the medrash tells us, what does it mean that she spread it out over the rock? What's the rock? What's the tzor? The tzor is HaKadosh Baruch Like Moshe Rabbeinu teaches us, Hashem, the rock, his actions are perfect. She spread herself out, El HaTzor. She spread herself out to Hashem. To be matzdik the din, the tzdiko aleha es hadin. She was matzdik the din. What was the magnificence of Ritzba Basaya? The magnificence of Ritzba Basaya is no tainos, no complaints, right? No, no arguments, no complaints, no hakadosh baruch hu. Why? Why did you take my sons? Why mine? Why these sons? Why? None of that. She spread herself out to the rock and she was not stick the din. I don't, even if I don't understand it, but this is Mayes Hashem. This is from Hashem. And whatever Hashem does is good. That was the magnificence of Ritzvah Basaya. Now, these bodies hung there for seven months. But you know what the halacha really is? The halacha, when someone was hung, and there is an onesh in the Torah to hang sometimes, but that onesh is, first of all, usually a person was killed first and then hung. And then the body came down immediately. You're not allowed to let the body hang overnight. They used to hang the body right before sunset, and they would take it down before sunset. It didn't hang, it did not hang overnight. And here, the bodies hung for seven months, these bodies are hanging there. Such a bazillion for these bodies, right? Hanging there for seven months, how did it happen? So there's different mafarshim. I'll just tell you the Rajak. The Rajak actually says, the Rajak says that it was a miscommunication. That David HaMelech said to hang these bodies, to hang them. And they thought, well, David said to hang them, so David is going to be mitzavah to take them down. And they wouldn't take them down until they got a boy from the Melech to take them down. But David didn't know that the bodies were hanging. David thought he'd commanded to hang them. They would hang them and take them down the way that the Torah is mitzavah. It was a miscommunication between David and the, and, and the, the, the people. David thought they, were, they had been taken down and the people were waiting for David to take it down. So it wasn't until David came, that until they came to David and told David that these bodies are still hanging there and have Rachmanus on Mitzvah, Basaya, that David commanded that they be taken down. So for all these seven months, Ritzvah Basaya is sitting there and she's guarding these seven bodies and she's making sure that they remain completely intact, no birds, no beasts, She's guarding them. And the Medrash goes, and the Medrash explains, go on to the next page to number three. Okay, Leslie? Okay, the Medrash says like this, people walked by all the time. And not only Jewish people, but people from all the nations of the world, because people came from all the nations of the world to see David's Malchus, and it was like such a magnificence. And they came from all over the world. And people pass these seven bodies hanging there. And they are like, what's going on? And they would say, and they said, who are these that are hanging? And Ritzvah Basayu would say, they are sons of kings. They are princes. Princes hang? 
What did they do? What did they do so terrible that you changed your laws? We know that in your Torah, it says that you can't leave a body hanging and for seven months they're hanging. What have they done that caused such a terrible thing to happen to them? So look what it says where the arrow says. And they asked about them. What did they sin? That the Midas Hadin was changed, that they are hanging so long. And the people said to them, and actually the Medrash says, who said it? This is what Ritzvah Bas Aya answered the people. Ritzvah Bas Aya, the mother, right? The mother, this is what she said. She said, Why did this happen? Because their ancestor stretched out their, his hands against weak Gerim. Amrulahem and the people would say to them, tell me about these Gerim that that um, that they that they stretched out that the kings that Shaul stretched out his hand against. Amrulahem, and so she really answered them, Elu These were the Gerim that became Gerim in the days of Yeshua. Amrulahem, and so then they said, Hashem is punishing his people because of these gerim that really were cursed people, gerim that tricked B'nai Yisrael, gerim that lied and cheated, and Hashem is standing up for their kavod? Ma b'vnei malachim came behejotos, and he's even punishing princes. Can you imagine ordinary people, al-achas kama v'kama, if they would have stretched their hands out against the gerim? These gerim that never that didn't become gerim l'shem shemayim, they did it because they they were tricking Bnei Israel. Can you imagine? And Hashem is standing up for their kavod. Can you imagine if a ger became a ger l'shem shemayim? Can you imagine how much Hashem will stick up for the kavod of his gerim? Right? If he goes on, There is no God like their God. There's no nation like their nation. And we should cling to this nation. Whose God is greater than any gods. At that time, it became a tremendous number of gerim from the nations of the world. Mea b'chamishim elef. A hundred and fifty thousand people became gerim at that time. Because they said, look how Akash demands and stands up for his gerim that are weak gerim, that came and lied and cheated. Imagine how much Akash Baruch is going to stand up for a gerim that become gerim l'shem shamayim, and they became one hundred and fifty thousand people became gerim because of Ritzvah Basaya and the way that she answered. She didn't right instead of having tainus. Why, right? Why did this happen? Why does right? Look how she answered them. Look how she answered them. She was doing much more than guarding these bodies. She was making a Kiddush Hashem in the world. She was making a tremendous, tremendous Kiddush Hashem in the world. She wanted that the deaths of these seven in their deaths, they should accomplish, their tachlis in this world should be accomplished. That in their deaths, an unbelievable Kiddush Hashem developed, and imagine the Olam Haba that these seven received in Olam Haba. This is what she accomplished. This is what she did. She caused a tremendous Kodesh. She made sure, she wanted to make sure that these seven died with a purpose, and that their tachlis in the world was finished, was complete, and that they really brought about a tremendous Kodesh Hashem. Okay, and, and brought their levels to unbelievable levels in Olam Haba. And not only that, when David HaMelech heard about this, 
David HaMelech became so inspired. She inspired David HaMelech. Because David HaMelech did not take care of that second chet that B'nai Yisrael had done. Seven months already have passed. David didn't make sure that Shaul got a proper kvura. Because in David's mind, it was too late. What could I do? This is 30 years ago. What can I do? And David didn't until, until he saw the chesed that she did with these mason, that inspired David to do chesed with the mason of Shaul and his sons. So if you look at the next medrash, it says, okay, if you could go on a little bit, next, okay, there, right. Okay, I'm going to skip a little bit. It says, oh, let me do it. No, no, go back. Right? He, she saw the unbelievable chesed that she did with these mesim. Even though David had, Hashem had told David that part of the reason for the rub was that Shaul was not, was not Mourned properly, he was buried in Chutzla Aretz, Eber Yarden. David was lazy in being masked with him. He wasn't, he didn't move for seven months. Sha'amar, what did he say? Twelve months passed already. You know, the time of Hespin is usually 12 months. It's too late, Shaul thought to himself. What should I do? It's already passed, it's 30 years later. What can I do? Below it's no longer the time for Hespin. When it was told to him, the masim that Ritzvah Basaya did, Nasa kal v'chomer batzmo. He made a kal v'chomer. And he said, Look at this. She's a woman. How much kayak does a woman have? And look how she, I lost my place here, but he moved up. Um, right, okay, look, right, and, right, and look at the, um, look what she did to be, for these basins. Seven months, she's sitting there, guarding their bodies. Anisha, I have the power of the whole malchus underneath me. Allah has come of a kama. Of course I should do chesed with the mace. And that's when he went, that's why the Pasuk doesn't say he went to do the chesed until afterwards. If we didn't do the chesed, she inspired him. It was what Ritzvah Barzai, the chesed that she did with that mace, with those mason, that inspired him to do chesed with Shaul and his sons. And that is when the rain started, when he, did, when he completed that, and the ra'av was over. So it, also, we really have to attribute the end of the ra'av and the saving of the entire clan Israel. We have to really attribute to this woman, Ritzba Basaya, because she was the inspiration to David Amalek. And so the Medrash says, and really it's a, the Radak brings it, it was in the first one, number two. You don't have to go back there, I'll just read it. Ubidrasha says, listen what it says, Ra'a, when David saw, Ki Haisa, what an amazingly great woman she was, Lakha Leisha. David married her. David went afterwards, and David HaMelech married her. So, Ritzvah Basaya. She did unbelievable chesed with these mason. Ritzvah Basaya was matzdika as hadin. She was matzdik the din. And David was so, so overcome and so impressed that David... This is the exact, he, she's, he saw in her the media that defined him. Because this was really David HaMelech. Think about David HaMelech. David HaMelech, until right, he went through so many tsaras in his life. His life was filled with tsaras. David HaMelech, until he was 30 years old, can we switch back? Um, no more shared screen at this point. Ah, I can see people again. 
Okay. So David HaMelech, right? Um, right? Until he's 30 years old, people think that he's a mamzer. His father thought he was a mamzer. His brothers thought he was mamzer, and they were him. And when the people saw that his fa- family was him, such chash of Persian Yishai was him, they were him. And later on, Shal HaMelech considers him to be a married b'malchus. And Shal tra- chases after him for six months to try to kill him. And then later, even when he becomes king, he has a son that rebels against him. What could be worse than a person having his own son rebel against him? Shal HaMelech went through so many tsaris in his life. And what did Shal HaMelech say? Oh, I shouldn't have taken it back, but I'll just read it to you. Amar David lefnei kash barcho. David said to Hashem, "Im chesed ata osa imi ashira." Hashem, if you do chesed with me, I am going to sing. Ve'im mishpat ata osa imi ashira. And if you do mishpat with me, hakash barcho, I'm going to sing. Ben kafu ben kaf b'cha Hashem azamra. Whatever way you deal with me, Hashem, I'm going to sing. Whether it's through, whether you give me good things, chesed, that you look at, looks at it as a good chesed, I'm going to sing and praise you. And when you bring what looks like a tsar on me, I am going to sing. And I am going to be makabalit b'simcha. That was David HaMelech, right? Because David HaMelech knew that whatever HaKash Baruch Hu does is for the good. Every single thing that Hashem does, Hashem does is for the good. So, this nida of being matzik the din is really an outgrowth of the nida of betachem. It's really an outgrowth of the nida of betachem. How do you define what is betachem? So the Sifse Chaim says like this. I didn't put it on the sheets, but he says, "Aval inyan habetachem hu." What is betachem? Ha'amin she'ein mikra ba'olam. To believe that there is nothing that just happens. There's no such thing as a coincidence. Rav Yaakov Weinberg, Zatzal, used to say that we should take the word coincidence and throw it out of our dictionary because it's not a word. You can't, you can't use it in Scrabble, okay? It's not a word, okay? Right? That, that whatever happens, happens because it is Ratzon Hashem. Hashem is making it happen. He says, Yisod HaBetachon, who? What's the root of Betachon? HaKara Shemachol MaShakorei B'chol Rega V'Rega. Whatever happens every single second, who Ratzon Yisbarach is Hashem's Ratzon. Betachon isn't, you know what, I believe it's going to all be, it's going to all come out good the way I want it to in the end. If I have Betachon, right, it'll come out exactly the way I want it. That's not Betachon. Betachon is, I believe, the Hashem runs the world. And everything that happens is Ratzon Hashem. And everything is good. And everything is good. So then the Sipsei Chaim says, how do we reach such a level? What can we do in ourselves to strengthen our betachem? How can we reach such a level to say, to realize and really know, I believe, I know that everything is Ratzon Hashem and everything is good. How do I get to that level? He says the way to get to that level is by putting Hashem into every aspect of our life. Every little aspect of our life, we have to put Hashem in. And many times people say, I'm, I daven for the big things. I'm going to save up my tefillos for the big things. The little things I can handle myself. It's not so, right? Everything is from Hashem. Even the little things are from Hashem. The tiny things are from Hashem. The stories always talk about Rebetzin Gifter, the wife of the Rosh Hashiva, tells that every time she put a cake into the oven, she used to say, Hashem, please help it rise. Every little thing comes from Hashem. I'm going shopping for shoes. Hashem, please help me find those shoes that I'm looking for. And they should be cheap too. Right? Okay? That's, that is... Right, that's right, that we have put Hashem, it's right, Hashem's giving us the shoes. It's not coming from my paycheck and I think it's me that's buying the shoes. It's Hakash Baruch Hu giving me the shoes, right? I'm driving around and I need to find a parking spot. Hashem, please help me find that parking spot so I don't have to walk five miles. 
okay? And if I do have to fly, walk five miles, that was good for me, right? Whatever HaKash Baruch Hu does, right, is whatever happens is Ratzon Hashem, and it is all good. And I have to put Hashem in the, how do I strengthen it? By putting Hashem into the small things, realizing Hashem is in every little thing. That's what we do when we daven. We daven three times a day, and when you think about it, it's the same bakashos every single day, day after day after day after day, three times a day, and we're asking for the exact same things. Because it's to remind us that everything is from Hashem. My clothes, and my health, and my wealth, and my parnasa, and every little thing also, the little, little things, okay? I got a, it was a great sale, and I got some, that was Me'ez Hashem. Everything is Ratzon Hashem, and everything from Hashem is good. So it was so interesting, okay? Listen, look at this, Ashkacha. I was learning about Ritzvah Basaya when we were all locked down in our houses during Pesach, right before Pesach, right around Pesach time, okay? Now, that was at the height. Actually, I'm not sure if we're still not at the height, but right, that's what we consider to be the height, okay? And people are dying, and people are dying, and people are dying, and I don't think there's anyone who doesn't know people that have died during this, okay? People are dying, people are so sick. We had to call, close down the schools, and we had to close down the Bate Midrashim, and we had to close down the shuls. And Pesach, Pesach, we ended up being alone. Now, my, we had, my daughter was supposed to come from Eretz Yisrael with her five boys. We had bought tickets, $450 tickets, 10 months ahead of time. 10 months. We've been waiting for this. We have been waiting. My daughter cannot, we cannot afford to bring a, a, a daughter with five sons to, to and, and, you know, I want them to be at our Seder. And we were like beyond excited. And it didn't happen. And neither did our, any of our other children come. And my husband and I were all alone. And we were nowhere near alone as some people were alone. And we think to ourselves, oh my goodness, this is such a sorrow. And how are we? We're still in it. And how do we understand it? And how do we live it? And how do we go through it? Right? We have to remind ourselves that it is doesn't matter if I understand it. It doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem to make sense. The world doesn't seem to make sense. But it doesn't matter if we don't understand it. And it doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense. It is Ratzon Hashem. And it is all good. We only get to see a little tiny piece of a huge puzzle. But nothing that happens in this world is bad. Everything that happens that seems bad to us is Hashem turning the wheels that from the bad comes out the good. My father used to always say, tell us, do you know why we, say, we close our eyes when we say Shema? I've said this number of times in class. Remember, you know why we close our eyes when we say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Achad? We're being makabal all malchus Shemayim. Why do we close our eyes? We're closing our eyes to all the tsaris that are around us. Why is it that bad people have so many good things happen to them? And good people have so much bad that happens to them. Tzadzik Virala, Rasha Vitovlo. We close our eyes to it all. And we're makabal all malchus Hashem is running the world. It is Hashem's ratzon. And every single thing that happens in the world is good. The Archos Tzadikim gives a marshal. So he says to marshal to two people that were planning a, they were going to go on a cruise together. And they had saved up years to be able to go on this cruise. And they finally, the day of the, the, the trip has finally arrived. Yant excited. And one of these people, one of these um, men that were going to go on the cruise got a thorn caught in his thigh. And his foot blew up, became infected. 
I guess we could say cellulitis, and he couldn't go on the trip. And he thought that this was the worst day of his life. How could this have happened to him? They've been thinking and planning and preparing for it for months and months. And he had to wave goodbye to his friends who went off on the ship. And he had to say it was the worst day of his life. How could it happen? Until a few days later, when he hears that there was a terrible storm at sea and the boat capsized and everyone drowned. And what he thought was the worst day of his life turned out to be his biggest bracha. Now we all hear stories like this, right? The aha moment, now I understand, right? Now I understand. But you know what? The reality is that most of the time we don't get the aha moment. Hashem gives us little, little, uh, you know, glimpses here and there of uh, now I understand. But for the most part, we don't get to understand. But it doesn't matter. We have to believe and have betachon and realize that anything that happens is Ratzon Hashem, and that it is all good. And that it, even if it seems bad, Hashem is preparing good to come from the bad. So, the Ramchal explains what we're going through. I want you to hear this. This is a magnificent, magnificent Ramchal. I'm not going to read it inside, but I have it on the sheets for you if you want to read it later. And the Ramchal explains how we can understand this. He bases it on the Pasuk of Shir Hashirim. And it says in the Pasuk of Shir Hashirim, Hashem is mashkiach min hachalonos and meitzitz min hacharakim. Hashem is watching from the windows and he's peering from the cracks. And that's talking about Hashem's hashkacha in the world. Hashem deals with us with two ways. He is, right, mashkiach min hachalonos, he's looking from these, he is watching from the windows and he's peering from the cracks. So Ramchal says that mashkiach min hachalonos Watch, um, watching from the windows is referring to the time when we have a base on Mikdash. And when we had a base on Mikdash, and we're living in Eretz Yisrael, and we're living in Yerushalayim, Hashem's hashba on us was like a wide open window. And Hashem poured his bracha, and hashba'a was like pouring on us on the, from the open, from a wide open window. But when B'nai Yisrael sinned, and Hashem destroyed the base Hamikdash. Hashem closed that window. But it doesn't mean Hashem isn't watching us. Hashem is mashkiach min hacharakim. He's peering from the cracks. What are these cracks? These cracks are open, says the Ramchal, the entire ghost in which Hashem is pouring his hashpa'a on us. And what are these cracks? These are the Bateknesia. These are the shuls. These are the shuls. These are the Bate Midrashim. That's where Hashem's hashba'a and Hashem's bracha comes onto us from the shuls and all the different places in Gaulus all around the world. Hashem is my He's peering through the cracks. He's giving us bracha through the shuls. Now listen to what Ramchal said 300 years ago. The Ramchal said, that before the time of Mashiach, right before the time of Geula, Hashem is going to close up those cracks. He's going to close up the shuls. He's going to close up the Batei Midrashim. Why? Because he's getting ready to open the Chalon. He's getting ready to open the big window of Geula, the Hashpa on the Geula. We think it's something terrible. We think it's a tzara. Look, the shuls. We couldn't go to shul on Pesach. We couldn't go to shul on Shavuos. Our shuls are closed. What's going to be Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? We still don't even know what's going to be. The Ramchal 300 years ago said, Hashem's going to close up these cracks. He's going to close up the Bate Knesset because Hashem is getting ready to open up the big chalom. So, we look at it as a tzara. But really, what is it? Hashem is turning the wheels to bring to the time of Mashiach. The good. So, there's a Gemara. I wanted to see the Gemara says. Okay. Uh, can we go back to the shared sheet? 
Okay, number seven. Can we do a shared screen? Okay. Good. Okay. Number seven. Keep going up. Up, up, up. Keep going. I think it's the last. Actually, it's the last one. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. More, more, more. Okay, here's the Ramchal, by the way, number six, if you have it, I'll print it out and read it. And then go further, oh, further, that's the Ramchal, further. Okay, he says, Abbasuros told, he says, Loka olam hazeh olam haba. This world is not like the world of the time of Mashiach. Ha'olam hazeh abbasuros told, so mer baruch hatol vahametid. In this world, when we hear something good, we make a bracha. And we say, Baruch HaTov HaMetit, blessed is the good and the one who does good. And when we have bad, we hear bad news, what do we say? Baruch Dayan HaEmes, right? The Olam Haba Kulo HaTov HaMetit. When it's going to come to the time of Olam Haba, we're no longer going to say the bracha ever of, hatov, of Baruch Dayan HaEmes. We're only going to say the bracha of HaTov HaMetit. So the Tzlach explains this and says, what does that mean? The Tzlach says, in the world that we now are in, we don't understand. And we see something and we think this is good. So we say, Baruch We see something and we think it's bad. So what do we say? Blessed is the true judge. Like we know Hashem is the true judge. And Hashem knows what he's doing, but we don't understand it. In the time of Olam Haba, it's all going to become clear. It's all going to make complete sense why all the things that we thought were bad were not bad. They were really good. They were really Hashem turning the wheels to make the good come from the bad. And that's why in the time of Olam Haba, we will never say Baruch Zayin HaEmes anymore. We will only say the Baruch of HaTov because we're going to understand. It's going to make sense. Now we say, now I don't understand. I'm a Kabbal, but I don't understand. In the time of in the time of Mashiach, we will have a clear understanding how all what seemed to be bad was really Hashem preparing the good to come from the bad. Okay, if you could stop sharing the screen. And I want to tell you, right, this is a very high madrega of the Tachon to reach. Not so easy, right? Sounds, it's not easy. It's not easy to keep this level of betachon. It's not easy to remind yourselves all the time that everything that seems to be bad is really somehow good. It's a very high level of betachon. This was the betachon of Ritzvah Basaya. This was the level that Ritzvah Basaya had. This was the betachon that she had. And if you think about her name, her name is Ritzvah. Ritzvah Basaya. Ritzvah. What's a Ritzvah? Ritzvah is a floor. Right? A ritzvah is a floor. Her name is a floor? Right? Her name? So, what's the floor? The floor of the house is the foundation of the house. If there's no floor, you can't stand in the house. Right? The floor is the foundation. It stands on the floor. That's the foundation of the house. So, what we see from ritzvah is that her midah, which is the midah of betachon, is the ritzvah, it's the foundation of every bias. That's the foundation that the, floor, that the house has to have. And it's the koach of the woman to, right, to set this foundation in the house. And that's why her name really happens to be a very beautiful name for her, right? She is the foundation, her betachon was the foundation of what, the, of what a bias has to be. That's what we see from her. But there's something else too. Ritzvah has another definition to it. Ritzvah comes from the same Lashem that we find by Eliyahu Navi, as it says that a Malach came and fed Eliyahu Navi Ugos Ritzafim. Ugas Ritzafim. Okay, a cake baked on hot coals. It says it by Yeshaya Hanavi too, this Lashem. Ritzvah is the food of a Malach. That's what Ritzvah is. Um, Eliyahu Hanavi 
was given by this malach, this ugas ritzafen, this cake baked on hot coals, the food of a malach. And with that food, Eliyahu Anavi was nurtured for 40 days and 40 nights. He went with the koach of that food. And that's what we see, that the koach of betachon, the koach of betachon can nurture, like the food of a malach, and can raise the person up to become malach-like. And that's what we learn from Ritzvah Basaya, and I think it's a powerful lesson for our day and everything that we're going through, and all the, all the things that are women that are worried about not being able to go to Shul and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and all of these things. This is, think of the lesson of Ritzvah Basaya and the betachon that she had, and matzik the din and realize that there is nothing that happens to us that's bad. Hashem is preparing the good to come from the bad. And that's where we are. Okay, you can unmute.